Well, good morning, Fellowship family. I want to invite you to stand with us to declare the praises of our Lord and Savior. Our Savior. Let's Fellowship family, and welcome. If this is your first time here or your first time in a long time, we're just so glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. If you're new, we'd like to connect with you, and there's a couple ways that we can do that. Uh, first, you can follow the instructions on the screen, and we can reach back out to you electronically. But even better, we'd like to meet you in person in the center booth 
in the foyer and answer any questions you might have about how to get plugged in to fellowship, to grow and serve. And so we would love to meet you. Well, hey, today, my friend Sarah Hill and I, we get to share with you some opportunities. And first up are some young professionals gatherings. We have one today, actually, at 11.30 a.m. Right across the hall in the Family Center, we have a YoPro luncheon. And our very own Jimmy Dykes, ESPN commentator, will be sharing his journey of faith in the workplace and then fielding some questions at the end of that. And Sarah, I heard they're going to be serving free rights barbecue. They will have that. So my only question is, how do you know if you've aged out of this YoPro season of life? Going to leave that up to you. It's asking for a friend. Yeah, of course. Uh, if you fit that season of life, uh, you don't want to miss today at 11.30. Uh, two weeks from today, May 15th, there will also be a YoPro worship night right here in this worship center at 7 p.m. We have folks from our Fayetteville campus as well as our Bentonville campus gathering right here. So you don't want to miss that if you're described as a young professional. It's something I'm really personally excited about. Uh, upcoming May 13th and 14th is our Fellowship Rogers Men's Retreat at New Life Ranch. That'll be Friday evening to Saturday evening. We're going to gather around the theme of abiding in Christ, John 15, when he says, remain in me and I in you. You can do nothing apart from me. We're going to gather. We're going to eat together. We're going to worship together. We'll have some healthy competitions, skeet shooting competition, cornhole. Uh, do y'all do these kinds of things at women's get? No? Okay. Uh, ladies, at this point, go ahead and take your elbow and gently but firmly nudge it into your man's ribcage right now as a prompting, as a reminder to go ahead and register for the men's retreat coming up on May 13th and 14th. Sarah, I understand that there's a women's gathering coming up. Would you tell us more about that? There is a women's gathering coming up. It's actually also going to be in this room on May 10th at 7 p.m. And last night I texted Mello, one of the women that will be leading that night of worship, and I asked, hey, what is your hope for this night? And she said her hope is that women of all ages um, in all seasons would be able to come in, disconnect from what is happening in the world, and come in, connect with the Lord, whether it is through worship, prayer, scripture, connect with other people, um, even in different life seasons. But we're super, super excited. Hey, we also have another event coming up for families in the room. I am a little bit biased. I serve on our family team. But we have family camp coming up, and it is going to be so fun. It is out at New Life Ranch on May 29th, and it is going to be so much fun. It May 28th. Look at the screen. Don't listen to me. If you want more information or if you want to sign up, just zoom in on this QR code. Um, it is so much fun. We have created a retreat for families that is designed for you to connect with your kids, with your spouse, with people um, in your community group and in your town, and we are just so excited. If you have questions, find someone on staff. Find someone that's been before. Um, it is such a special day, and I can guarantee it is worth it. It is worth it to go and disconnect, um, skip the tournament, skip whatever you have, and come because it is, it is so, so worth it. But I'm going to pray, and we're going to get on with our morning. Lord, thank you for what happens in this place. Um, I pray that as we enter in, um, we would just remember who you are. We would remember your goodness, God, and that as we come in, the truth that we hear this morning um, would not only change our hearts in this place, but as we go out, um, Northwest Arkansas would look different because of the truth that is heard in this place. We love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love Mello's prayer for the women's night of worship, and it's my prayer for this morning as well that we can connect connect to God in this place. That as Psalm 16 says, we can set the Lord before us and we can focus our attention on him because he is worthy. This morning we have the opportunity to have the Chancellor of Dallas Theological Seminary with us to teach from John 15, Dr. Mark Bailey. And so um, as we continue to sing, would you just prepare your heart for the word that he is bringing this morning as he shows what Jesus says about abiding in him. And as you do that, would you stand and let's read this passage from the Psalms together. As we declare that God deserves all the glory, would you read this with me? 
Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let's join with all creation and sing this morning. i 
morning, we want to declare that he is worthy of all adoration, glory, and praise. That he is holy, that he is set apart as creator of the universe and sustainer of our hope and our faith. So I'm going to share a song that many of you know as we have sung it throughout the years, but as a song that I was able to be a part of writing years ago. And since then, it has been a song that I return to as prayer in my life and a cry of my heart that I would echo the psalmist from Psalm 16. Say this, I say to the Lord, Lord, you alone are my Lord. And apart from you, I have no good thing. See, God is the giver of every perfect gift. James calls him the father of light. And so would you take the opportunity as we sing to make this your prayer? God, I fix my eyes on you. I set you before me. I call my soul and my spirit to attention. And God, would you teach me that you would have me to learn this morning. So we sing together. You, my Lord, I have no good beside you, God. I have no need apart from my everlasting sing that again make it our prayer you my lord i have no good beside you god i have no need apart from you jesus my
God, we depend on you in every season, whether in suffering or in joy. God, would we keep in step with your spirit? So now as we humble ourselves before your word, would you teach us what it means to abide in you? To remain in you. God, you are the one true vine. And we say to you that you are our Lord. We have no good apart from you. So God, would we remain steadfast? God, as we see that you are faithful, would we remain give you all the honor, glory, and praise in this place today. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. What an incredible privilege it is to be back at Fellowship post-COVID, no less. In fact, yesterday was my first flight on a plane where I didn't have to wear a mask. The uh, lady next to me did, and she was looking at me a little bit weird, but uh, I, was, uh, I was very glad not to have to wear one, but uh, what a privilege it is, and uh, we continue to follow the ministry of fellowship and uh, uh, the growth, the expansion, the uh, training. It's to, what a terrific, terrific privilege to be here. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Peter Drucker said that a, uh, he was a management guru who said that uh, you could define a priority by a responsibility within a relationship. A responsibility within a relationship. And uh, how you handle that responsibility within that relationship uh, determines whether or not uh, you've lived up to that priority or not. Uh, I have a relationship with my wife, Barbie, and we'll uh, have been married 50 years this June. We've been dating for 53 years, and uh, she's just post-op about one month of some serious surgery, so she's back at home uh, today, but uh, able to go to church with my son and his wife. But uh, because of that relationship, I have certain priorities uh, that relate to our house, that relate to our family, uh, that relate to our, uh, our grandchildren. I have a relationship with my grandchildren that's different than my wife. I have a, a four-year-old, uh, precocious, the youngest one, and he was uh, talking with his parents this last week, and they said, how much do you love mommy? And he said, I love her over the moon. And uh, then uh, my son said, well, how much do you love daddy? And there was another expression that was magnanimous. It was great. And then he said this, but I love me to infinity. And it's still growing. <laughs> uh, there, there's a four-year-old that <clears throat> doesn't quite understand relationships. He doesn't quite understand priorities. Uh, in John chapter 15, we are in the middle of what is called uh, by most Bible scholars the upper room discourse, which is really four chapters of teaching and one chapter of a, a great prayer that Jesus prays to his father. And it's that middle chapter of chapter 15 where we find our seventh I am statement that you've been working your way through in the Gospel of John these past number of weeks. And in John chapter 15, you have uh, three major relationships that are established. And in each of those relationships, Jesus shares a critical priority. In verses 1 through 11, as we're going to see this morning, our text is chapters uh, 15, 1 through 11 we find that we have a relationship with Christ and the number one priority, in fact, it's mentioned, depending on your translation, either 10 or 11 times it's repeated in those 11 verses that our number one priority with Christ, which uh, we just uh, heard sung to us, is uh, that dependency, that abiding relationship with Christ. In verses 12 through 17, we have a relationship with each other called the one another's. Yeah, there's two ways to say another in Greek. One is heteros, which means different than, and the other is alos, which means the same as. 
And we're a part of the, uh, in Greek it comes out all alone, we're a part of the one another group of believers and we have a, a one, number one priority. He bookends it in chapter uh, 15 verse 12 and chapter seven, uh, 15 verse 17. And that is, uh, this is my command that you love one another. That you love one another. Number one priority that you have with the people sitting with you is to reflect the love of Christ toward them. Jesus said in John chapter 13, he said, A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. And that leads us then to the third uh, category, and that is we have a relationship with Christ, and obviously to God through Christ and the Holy Spirit. That's the first relationship, and our number one priority with Christ is to abide. We have a relationship with other believers, and our number one priority is to love. But we also have a relationship with the others, the world at large, those that don't yet know Christ. And that number one responsibility, as he puts it at the end of that passage, is that when he sends us the helper, the Holy Spirit, he will testify of me and you will testify of me. Which means that witnessing in the power of the Spirit is the number one priority that we have to a watching world. Now with that diagram up there, I want you to understand that the first relationship is key to the second relationship. And as we just said, by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. The testimony of the unity of believers in loving relationship with one another is the greatest testimony to the world that God has sent his son as Jesus will pray in John chapter 17. But it's in this first one that we have the metaphor of the vine and the branches. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there to uh, verse 1, because last words are lasting words. And so as we work our way through here, we, we come to this relationship that Jesus says as he begins, I am the vine, and my father is the gardener or the vine dresser. We are, by implication, the branches, as we'll see. But this is the first of the I am statements that you've been walking your way through these past number of weeks where he adds something, and that is the role of the father as the, uh, the, the taker, the caretaker, the vineyard worker who is working through his son, Jesus Christ, to accomplish his purposes in those of us who will become the branches. In this opening three verses, we have the metaphor of the vine and the branches, and we have identifications and we have representations. Uh, and he says that I'm the vine. In fact, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. The question is, why does he add the word true? He didn't say I'm the true light and I'm the true bread. Uh, he is that. But uh, this, this adjective, I'm the true vine, is a reflection back to the Old Testament and their imagery of Old Testament uh, Israel being represented by a vine is not only found in the scriptures of the Old Testament, it was found on the temple, uh, uh, the, the decorative aspects of the temple that was still in existence at the time of Christ. And in fact, as I was working on this as background, uh, in 1948 when Israel became a state, in 1949, they minted one of their first coins as a new uh, a state nation, and it was called the Pruta, which was like a penny in our culture, and it had an uh, imagery of the vine and the branches on it. But every time the Old Testament mentions the vine or the branches, it's negative. It's because Israel uh, has failed to live up to their role of being faithfully connected to God and fruitful on behalf of God. And so when Jesus is saying, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener, he's saying something in contrast to the religious establishment that had gone bad during his day, and the religious leadership that should have represented God hadn't borne fruit. And that's why uh, when John the Baptist comes on the scene, We'll talk about it a little bit more later, but he says, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words, if you are alive and well, you ought to be producing fruit. If you're a, a fig tree or if you're a vine or, or you're another kind of a fruit tree. And so the expectation that they would be fruitful because of being faithful had gone by the wayside. 
And so Jesus, in essence, says, I'm the true vine, my father's the vine dresser. And then he gives us two illustrations of two different kinds of branches. And if I could uh, take you to my library uh, before I give much of it away when I stepped out of my presidential role, and uh, uh, I have about eight feet of uh, shelf space devoted to uh, the Gospel of John commentaries, at least. And if you read those, uh, this is one of the most controversial that they write about. And rightly so, because he's a little bit in your face as he begins here. When he says in verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will even be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, there's two branches that he has in mind. One is an unfruitful branch, and the other one is a, a fruit-bearing branch. And uh, if you uh, uh, take that, it, I'm going to get a little technical for a moment. If you take the in me as adjectival, every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, or every branch not bearing fruit in me is the adverbial way, uh, verse 3 becomes, I think, a dividing line that helps me understand it. When John the Baptist came on the scene, he said, uh, bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. Every tree that does not bear fruit, he cuts down and throws into the fire. And it was a message of judgment. In other words, if you're not connected to Christ and you're not bearing fruit, it's evidence that you don't know him. You may be associated with him. You may have followed him in some respects. And I think what we have in verse 2 is a, uh, in that first kind of a branch is a Judas kind of a branch. He was numbered with the disciples. He had followed Christ. He stayed with Christ for that three-and-a-half to four-year ministry, and yet he wasn't really a fruit-bearing branch. And that's why he says if you're not uh, that kind of a branch, uh, he, he takes you out. <laughs> and and the, the word is to remove, as you see it in the NIV translation. But the branch that is bearing fruit, he cleans it, he prunes it so that it might bear more fruit. And then verse 3, I think, is the key, and everything after verse 3 then puts us in the category of a non-Judas, but a true cleanliness uh, a passage when he says, you are already clean because of the word, on account of the word that I spoke to you. So I take that uh, the branch not bearing fruit is an illustration of a Judas kind of a person, but I take the branch that's bearing fruit but still needs pruning, I think is a good illustration in the life of Peter. And so as he begins to walk his way through here, he, he begins to talk about uh, the evidence of unbelief is a lack of fruitfulness. Uh, the evidence of being related is a manifestation of fruitfulness. The branches that do bear fruit, he prunes. He prunes. Uh, I'd love to send you to the, the internet uh, I told Mickey and some of the others this last week as we were talking about this passage, I came across a, a YouTube series called One Acre in the Napa Valley. It's a great YouTube series, and it takes you month by month through the harvest cycle of the grape crop in the Napa Valley on this particular ranch. And as I was watching it, I was amazed because he started the pruning section and he's just cutting everything, cutting everything, cutting everything back to what's called a spur or a cane. And it cuts way back, cuts way back, cuts way back. And you think, he's going to destroy this thing, but it's absolutely necessary to produce the fruit. The branches that produce fruit, if you and I are walking with Christ and you and I are staying connected to Christ and, and we're bearing fruit for Christ, he's still going to prune us. And there's a reason for that. It may be that he is... Uh, uh, purifying and sanctifying us by uh, helping us see things that don't belong in our Christian experience. Uh, he starts cutting away all the parts that aren't necessary for fruitfulness. It might be trimming away bad habits. It may be that he's saying to you that, uh, you know what, that relationship is not conducive to your spiritual growth. And, uh, and the call from the Old Testament that it echoed in the New Testament, uh, come apart and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. Uh, you may be listening to the music of death instead of the music of life. You may be watching uh, the clips that uh, uh, exalt the old man and exalt the old world as opposed to stimulate your growth in Christ. He's got pruning shears in his hands and he'd love to clean that up. It may be that he's just clearing away parts of your life that are not the focus that he wants you to have, 
because he wants you to be focused in producing a particular kind of fruitfulness. It may be in the area of generosity, it may be in the area of service, it may be in the area of teaching, it may be in the area of counseling, it may be encouragement, it might be mercy, any one of the gifts that God gives to his, his body. He may be saying, you know what, you don't need to be doing that. You need to be doing this. What's primary? All of that's a part of the pruning process. He takes away branches that don't bear fruit, but he loves working on the branches that do bear fruit. And so these two branches are the illustration here. In the case of Jesus' followers, Judas was an example of a branch that wasn't connected enough to produce fruit. And Peter is one who's connected enough but still needs work in his life to be what God wants him to be. This verse 3 is the critical one. You're clean on account of the word which I've spoken to you. And you go back to chapter 5 and chapter 6 in John's gospel. And he's talking about a right response to the word of God is how you get connected to Christ. That's the metaphor he introduces. But what does it all mean? Let's look at verses 4 through 11. I love Albert B. Wells who said that there's a difference between being attracted to Christ and being attached to Christ. Let me say that again. There's a big difference between being attracted to Christ and being attached to Christ. These, in verses 4 through 11, there's two sections. Each of them begin with a command, and one relates to abiding in Christ, and the other relates to abiding in his love. Look at verse 4 with me for a moment, but uh, before we look at it on the screen, uh, you may want to jot in your notes or in your mind's eye the, the word abide is an is a agricultural term that means to sink the roots down in to, for sustenance purposes. Uh, it's used two ways in John's gospel, and uh, it's a part of the dynamic of the, of the spiritual life that when you come to Jesus Christ by faith, you become an abider. In fact, John 6.56 says this, and he uses another metaphor, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood... You abide in me. And you uh, had that passage earlier in your series on I am the bread of life. And the concept of the bread is appropriating the bread, of eating the bread is a metaphor for believing in Christ. And he takes those elements that will ultimately be revealed for the uh, a communion a little bit later, and he takes the, the bread for his body and the drink for his blood, and he says, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you abide in me. You become an abider in a relationship with Christ by faith. But when we come to John chapter 15, he wants an abider by reality to be an abider by personal responsibility. That ought not to shock us because uh, Colossians 2 is one of those classic passages. In the same way you received Christ Jesus the Lord, how did you receive him? By faith. So walk in him. Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. In other words, as a life of a believer, if I'm not living by faith, whatever is not of faith, James says, is sin. So if I'm going to walk by faith, the question is, how did I start that walk? Well, he says, he that cometh to me must first believe that he is. He that cometh to God must first believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I come to him in faith. Step one, I live by faith in him the rest of my life. I become an abider by faith, imbibing, if I could say that, ingesting all that Christ has done for me, internalizing that, and now he wants me as a branch to keep on abiding and to abide in him. And so it's this section that is the responsibility section. What abiding means is to, to stay so close in fellowship to Christ so that his work and his life can work in and through us to produce the fruit that he expects and would love to produce. So look at verses 4 and 5 with me. He says, remain in me, NIV says. I still like the word abide, so uh, Mickey's using the word reside at the other campus today. And uh, we'll go back and forth between them. Uh, the song had abide in it, so uh, I, I memorized it in the King James and the New American Standard. So if I say abide instead of re remain, stay with me. Uh, it's the same word, meno in Greek. Remain or abide in me, and I also abide or remain in you. 
This is that mutual connection, that, that, a, a branch into a vine, that, that place of connection. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. That's the viticulture illustration. So here comes the spiritual application. Neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, he says. You're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do, say it, nothing. You and I, I think, tend to live by a little motto, without him, I can't do the big things. You know, without uh, him, I can't handle the crises of my life. Uh, without him, I can't handle uh, the big temptations of my life. But Jesus, if we're going to be honest, if we're going to believe what Jesus said, he says, without me, you can do what? Nothing. Why? All you have to do is illustrate it. If you have a hedge at home or if you have a plant at home, just cut off the branch and see how long it stays green. I grew up in Arizona um, and then uh, taught there for nine years before I came to the seminary 37, 38 years ago. And uh, in Arizona, the heat is so hot, you cut your hedge, and by the time you were ready for cleanup, all the branches are already brown. I mean, it, I mean, it just goes that quickly. Uh, they look terrible by the time you clean them up because you've cut them off from their life's worse. And so uh, that yields a principle here, and that mutual abiding, I in him, he in me, mutual abiding is essential for a fruitful life. A branch is only fruitful as so far as it assimilates and is nourished by the sap coming through the vine. In the natural world, branches have no conscious responsibility. In the spiritual world, he places that responsibility of setting that priority relationship at high levels of our life, and he tells me I'm the one to take the initiative to remain in Christ, to abide in Christ. It's a priority responsibility. Why? Because uh, mutual abiding is what produces fruit. In the New Testament, as you track that word fruit out, you'll find that it's the fruit of good works, bring forth fruits in keeping with repentance. It, re it basically means obedience. It's the fruit of the Spirit, which is character, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, etc., etc. It's the fruit of ministry. It's the souls of people who might come to Christ because of my witness, my testimony, my influence. It's also the fruit of our lips. Uh, our worship and our witness, as Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says. We, we bring forth the, the fruit of our lips, which is praise to our God, as we profess and, in essence, witness to his holy name. Look at verse 6 with me. Here comes the negative. What's the downside? If I don't remain, he says, if you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away withers, and such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, this has caused commentators to go crazy as well. We believe, and Fellowship Bible Church believes by statement of faith, and what's preached here is that uh, uh, when you come to Christ, you have eternal, not temporary life. And so it can't mean a loss of salvation here. He's talking to disciples in an upper room, and he basically is saying is that if you don't remain in me uh, and fruit-bearing is no longer an option than spiritual discipline, in fact, 1 John 5 talks about, uh, in verse 6, it talks about that a believer can sin to a point where God sort of cuts them off, cuts them out. Uh, he uses that illustration in Revelation of a church that no longer is a worthy witness, and he takes the candlestick out. They haven't all lost their salvation. They've lost their influence. And the Bible talks about sinning to a point of death. Some of you are sick and some of you sleep, he told the Corinthians. Because of their disobedience and their lack of staying in fellowship with Christ, there comes a potential point. We don't know what it is. For Ananias and Sapphira, it was pretty quick in Acts chapter 5. Lying to the Holy Spirit, boop, you're out of here. <laughs> All of us, unbelievers and believers, will be tested by fire, will be judged by fire. And the question is, what will survive the fire? For the believer, wood, hay, and stubble is burned. Gold, silver, precious stones remain is his imagery of works that have been done for God as opposed to the flesh. So he's being very blatant and very blunt here that if you, uh, if you don't stay connected to Christ, 
as a believer, the potential of you losing the privilege of service and losing the privilege of witness and maybe even losing the privilege of life is a real possibility. It's a, it's a warning that you and I ought to take seriously because the failure to abide results in divine discipline. Verse 7 and 8, we see the benefits, however. The flip side of that, what are the benefits of abiding? He says in verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, there's that mutual flow of I'm staying connected to him. How does he stay connected to me? One of those ways is through his word. That's how you and I get into his word. His word gets into us. And what happens with that, he says, ask what you wish, it'll be done for you. Now, this isn't a blanket, carte blanche, you know, you want a nice new, you know, red Miata, you get a red Miata. That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying is, if you abide in me and my words are abiding you, you're going to know what to pray for and how to pray. And what you ask for, according to the will of God, is how God's going to answer. And uh, as you and I both know, if you've prayed very much, you know some of his best answers are no. And some of his best answers are wait. And some of his best answers are at times yes. Uh, I've, I've, uh, I've watched all three be the best answer as I've grown with Christ over my years. There's things I thought I needed or wanted, and he, boy, he said no, and it was the best decision he ever made. <laughs> and by the way, he's never made a bad one. You can trust him. I love what John Piper says. Listen to this quote. He says, Christ abiding in us is an interchangeable, is interchangeable with his words abiding in us because Christ never comes without his authoritative view on things. To have him abiding is to have all of his views abiding in us. If he abides, his views abide. If he abides, his priorities abide. If he abides, his principles abide. If he abides, his promises abide. If he abides, his commandments abide. In short, if and when Christ abides in us, his words abide in us. When we adopt the agenda of Christ, then we know how to pray. There's a second benefit, and that's in verse 8. He says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciple. It's a demonstration of discipleship. It's a demonstration of relationship. And by that, and by abiding and watching God produce the fruit, that brings glory to God. I thought about this, and I put a statement in my notes that says this. The view of the fruitful vineyard speaks really well of the vineyard owner. If you were in the Napa Valley or if you were somewhere here, and I remember uh, first coming to fellowship when this whole field over here were, were, were grapevines, uh, you know, Concord uh, grapes over here. And uh, if, you know, you, you can tell something about the vineyard owner by the way the vineyard looks. And by this, he says, my father is glorified when you bear much fruit. So I have a question this morning. How, how well do you want to glorify God in your life? will be directly related to your desire for him to produce fruit in your life, which will be directly related to your willingness to abide in Christ. Verses 4 through 8 is abiding in Christ, and it starts with that command, remain in me or abide in me. Verses 9 through 11 is the second command, and that is, he says, abide in my love. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I like magic. It, it's, it's been a hobby of mine, uh, and I love watching it. I love finding out about it since like childhood. And uh, In fact, I went to seminary thinking I was going to be a magician like Andre Cole with Campus Crusade, traveling the world doing magic. And uh, Barbie and I did that for a while, but God changed our, our focus and things like that. But, but I, I love the you know, the sleight of hand, and I, I love the illusions and things, and, and uh, pardon my Bane analogy, but a, a good card handler can uh, lay out a, a fan of cards, then take one card up, and have you ever seen him going across the deck like this? Okay, maybe you haven't, but that's okay. Think dominoes then. And I, and I want you to watch this, uh, this back and forth in this passage as we come through verses uh, 9 through 11. Notice in verse 9 he says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, now remain in my love. Now watch this, here's the father. The father loves the son, and the son loves his disciples, us, his followers, so stay there. 
You are the object of the Father's love through Christ to you. God so loved the world. He gave his son so whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. Hang in there because as the Father loves the Son, the Son loves you. Stay there, he says. Stay connected to that experience of love. Then he says this, if you'll keep my commandments, because John 14, 21 and 23 says that if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So if, if the love of the Father through Christ is coming to us, what's the flow backwards through that passage? He says, if you will obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I've kept the Father's commands and I remain in his love. See, Jesus was obedient to his father. He was the object of his father's affection, but he was his, his love and obedience to his father. And so he says, if you'll keep my commandments, like I've kept my father's commandments, you're hanging in this love relationship that's pretty phenomenal. Just as Jesus is the object of the father's love, so are we the object of Jesus' love. As Jesus obeyed the father out of love, so we're to obey the son out of love. And then look what he says in verse 11. I've told you this so that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be complete. Fullness of joy becomes the experiential result of abiding in Christ. Let me tick off the lessons from the vine for you. Very quickly, number one, the purpose of the branch is to bear fruit for the vine. Purpose of the whole point of having a branch. And by the way, when I saw that video and watched that and did a little bit more research on what viticulture and, and vine pruning was, they only get fruit out of brand new wood. Everything has to get cut back so that you have a new growth that year, and that's where the fruit comes from. It's not out of dead wood. It's not out of old wood. It's fresh growth, which gives me even more of appreciation for this. Number two, you and I need to welcome the vine dressing of God's pruning because it's essential for our health and our fruitfulness. It's essential for our spiritual health and fruitfulness. How do we stay connected to Christ? Number three, we stay connected through his word, through prayer, and through obedience. Through his word, through his prayer, through prayer and obedience. That's how we abide in Christ. What does that allow us to experience? Number four, an abiding lifestyle allows us to personally experience the relational love of God and his son, Jesus Christ. It's experiential. It's, it's tangible. It, it's a, a welcomeness. It's an acceptance. When you know you've done it right, there's a blessing of God. God smiles on it. Christ smiles on it. You feel it. And he said, I'm, I'm telling you all of this. Faithfulness not only glorifies God, but proves our discipleship, as verse 8 tells us. And then this last one again, don't miss it, the vibrant relationship with God through our connection with Jesus is the secret to a joy-filled life. I grew up in a little town called Glenwood Springs, Colorado. With this, I'll quit. We had Strawberry Day Festival, small town, less than 5,000 people, but every year we had a Strawberry Day Festival, we had a Strawberry Day Parade, uh, we had beauty queens in the back of, uh, you, know, uh, you know, convertibles, but at the, this little town they served ice cream and strawberries to the whole town free of charge out of these big refrigerated trucks right in front of the courthouse. My mom worked in the telephone company on Main Street, the second floor of the building, and right next door, at the bottom of that was OK Tire and Rubber Store. And I, this is back when it wasn't so common, and, uh, and, and that was the only time during the whole year you could get a helium balloon, which was, for a little kid, was a big stuff. That was big stuff. And OK Tire and Rubber Store had the canister, and you got this, and you picked out your balloon, and it had a black blotch on the balloon of ink. But when you put it on the canister, and it went, and it blew up, it said, OK Tire and Rubber Store. It was great advertising for them, great fun for a little guy. And I've often thought about that. Jesus said, I, I say these things to you, 
that I could be the helium of your balloon. I could be a source of your joy. I say these things to you so that my joy might be in you, but your joy, your joy might be full. Anybody not want that? Comes with a priority, responsibility, in a relationship with Christ to abide. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of being here at Fellowship again. Thank you for these, your people. Lord, I don't know where they are with you, but uh, if they have not yet trusted in your son, Jesus Christ, to become an abider by relationship, I pray that'll be their first step, that they'll trust you, they'll trust your word, your promise to them. And Lord, for those of us for whom that has been a previous commitment of our lives to you in faith, would you help us understand the essentiality of remaining connected? May you help us reorder, reorient, trim away, clean, purify, our priorities so that if anybody looked on they would know we have a priority a number one priority with you and it's to stay connected to you may that be our pattern this week I pray in Jesus name Amen Amen would you thank Dr. Bailey for being here with us this morning grateful for the word you taught would you stand once again before we leave this place would we make this our prayer that as we see Jesus for who he truly is he'd lead us to abide in his presence daily we sing you're the way the truth and the life you're the well that never runs dry I'm the branch and you are the vine. Draw me close and teach me to abide. Be my strength, my song in the night. Be my all, my treasure, my prize. I am yours forever, you're mine. Draw me close and Father, that's our prayer, that as we leave this place, you would teach us to walk by your spirit, to abide in you. We love you. May our lives show that to the world around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning, Fellowship. If you'd like prayer, we have Alan Patty Campbell in the prayer room. They'd love to pray with you. Go in peace.